Welcome to the Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. This summer, we're walking through the book of Romans, taking a master class from the rich and powerful book of the New Testament. Romans is one of the greatest books of the Bible. It is the essence of the gospel and provides the rich doctrine of our faith. Romans was written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Rome, and God has used it to change the hearts of men and ultimately the world. In Romans, we see the impact of our sin, which reveals our deep need for God, and then the importance of living out our faith in Jesus today. Whether a lifelong student of the Bible to a first-time believer, this is a masterclass for everyone. Let's listen in. Well, good morning, church. My name is David Curtis. I'm the worship arts pastor here at our Nolensville campus, and I am excited to bring the Word of God. It is humbling. It is an honor that I don't take lightly, and I'm grateful always for the opportunity that Pastor Jason gives me. Maybe someday we'll give him the mic, right, to lead worship. We'll see. (laughs) So I am excited to bring the word. Like Pastor Jason said, we are in a series called Masterclass, uh, where we're studying the book of Romans, and we are the halfway point, Romans 8, which is just an incredible chapter. It is stocked full of so many good truths that the Apostle Paul, he's the one that wrote this to the early church in Rome. So these early Christians, there's many people that are starting to put the law back on them, saying you need to do this, you need to do this, you need to do that. But Paul is reminding us that it's by faith and faith alone in Jesus. And in this chapter, he takes a turn and says how to live a life in the spirit. That's what we're going to be talking about today, how to live a life in the spirit the Spirit. It is an incredible chapter. I'm so excited for it. Let's pray and ask for the Lord to do what only he can do. God, this is your message. This is your truth. Lord, speak clearly through this vessel. May it be so much more Jesus, less, less David. God, I want to glorify you in this message and be honored. In your precious name we pray. Amen. So the question, like I said, is how do I live a life in the Spirit? So maybe you're saying, what exactly does that mean? Am I doing it right now? Have I ever done that before? What does that mean, Pastor David? So this is a class where it's going to be very practical with a lot of things today. How do I live a life in the Spirit? What that means is when you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, say, I want to become a Christian. I want to surrender my life to Jesus, that the Holy Spirit is deposited within us, Christ with in us, which is a beautiful truth. So I want to give you some scripture to back that up. We're like I said, we're in Romans 8. So if you have your Bibles, grab your Bibles. Encourage you to bring your Bible to church. It's a good thing to do. If not, you got your mobile device or scripture will be on the screen. Romans 8, we're going to be looking at verse 10 and 11, and then we'll walk all the way through uh, Romans 8. But starting at Romans 8, verse 10. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death, of sin, because of sin, the spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of a spirit who lives in you. Christ in you, the spirit of God in us. What an incredible truth. So now let's go to the very beginning of the chapter, Romans 8 verses 1 through 4. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. 
And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. So let me tell you, that is some good news. The past seven weeks, we have made sure that you guys know you are broken people. You're bad. Maybe some of you more than me. I don't know. I'm not sure. No, but it says all have fallen short. All have fallen short. The past seven weeks, we wanted to make sure we gave you the bad news so we could give you the good news that we are in need of a savior. And so the beginning of chapter eight says, therefore, there is no condemnation now, those that are in Christ Jesus. And we know whenever there's a therefore, we have to say, what's it? Yes, you pay attention. I know you do. The very end of chapter seven, it says, wretched man, I am. Who will deliver me? But thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So there is now no condemnation because of Jesus Christ, because we are in him. There is no condemnation for those who believe in Jesus. So this is good news for the believer. But it, it, that means there is condemnation for the unbeliever. John 3, 16, or I'm sorry, 3, 18 says, whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has believed in the name of the only son of God. So I want to double click on the word condemnation, make sure we know kind of what we're talking about when we say the word condemnation. Um, definition is up here. Uh, the expression of very strong disapproval or the action of condemning someone to a sentence. But the word of God says, if you are in Christ Jesus, walking with the Holy Spirit, you don't even have to come to the courtroom. For your sins, you don't even have to come to the courtroom. There is a sentence on your life. And Jesus says, I'm going to pay for that sentence. I'm going to pay for that on the cross once and for all. You were once dead. Now you're alive. You were once guilty. But because of what I've done and you've accepted me, you are now innocent. So that's one phrase of the word condemnation, which I don't know about you, but that, that I can grasp onto a little bit more clearer than the other one. So I was once dead, now I'm alive. Okay, there's no way I could reach God except for through Jesus. I got it. But the second one is the one that I personally struggle with, and I'm sure some of you do too. Sure, I'm innocent, but God has got to be disappointed with me, right? He's not happy with me. Have you ever thought God is maybe angry at you? But if you believe scripture and you have Christ in you as your personal Lord and Savior, that is simply not the case here at my friends today. That is simply not the case. We are in Christ and now there is no condemnation. The devil's biggest weapon is condemnation. We want to listen to the lies the enemy says about our past, about our sins, about our struggles. The enemy wants you to believe that you're never good enough to be used by God. But let me tell you, God's economy is not like that. He uses the broken. Amen? Just read scripture. Broken people being used by a mighty God. That's the way our God works. It's not cancel. It's grace. Carry on. I'm thankful that that's the God that we serve. Our struggle is that there's no condemnation anymore from God but we put the condemnation on ourselves. 
I am a father of two awesome kids, uh, Max and Isla. Max, my little boy, is eight years old. And um, my little girl, Isla, is five years old. And so this past Monday, uh, I was putting them both down to bed because my wife was, was gone. And so we, um, going through the bedtime routine, get Isla down, prayer, song, story, check. All right, sweetheart, there you go. Now we're moving on to Max land. Go over to Max, start the routine, and then in pure Isla fashion, she comes on in, Daddy, Daddy, and whatever she thinks is pressing, boy, believe me, she thinks it's pressing. My five-year-old hasn't learned the art of patience. I don't know about your five-year-old, but she is, it's so important. It's so important. It's so important. So finally, I'm like, all right, Max, we're going to pause here on our bedroom routine, and I'm going to take care of Isla. And honestly, I was pretty proud of myself and Max because we didn't lose it on her. I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm kind of killing this father game. I don't know. <laughs> Walking back with a little bit more stride. But as soon as I said, okay, Isla, we can do it. And she's like, I'm sorry. Like, Baby, it's okay. I'm sorry. Baby, it's fine. That's not mad. It's okay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Eventually flailing onto the bed. I'm so sorry. I'm sorry. I'm like, babe, it's okay. With, I'm not okay. With tears and snot and stuffies flying everywhere. I'm not okay. It's not okay. Like, babe, it is okay. And the Lord gave me that scene right there. And I was like, this is us. This is us with our God. God says, you're forgiven. I, I actually delight in you. I delight in you, God says. And we say, no, it's not okay. You haven't, do you see my sin? Do you see my mess up? And that's the God that we serve. It says, I see you. I delight in you. There is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. The beautiful thing is when we can really grasp this truth, there is so much freedom for when I live a life in the spirit, I can accept there's no condemnation for those in Jesus. That's your first point. When I live a life in the spirit, I can accept there's no condemnation for those in Jesus. So the question is, how do we do this, right? I love this truth, right? Come on, I'm, I'm for it. How do we do this? To really have no condemnation, you must constantly keep your mind and eyes on Jesus. We have to set our mind on what Jesus has done not what we have done. Romans 8, 5, to get back to scripture, says those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. To live a life in the spirit, I must always set my mind on what the spirit desires. To live a life in the spirit, I must always set my mind on what the spirit desires. Like it says in verse five, but those who live in accordance with the spirit have their mind set on what the spirit desires. Continuing on in verse nine, Romans eight, verse nine. There's a lot of scripture today, but that's the best part of a message. So you're, 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 you're in good hands. The word of God is gonna take care of you. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the spirit of the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the spirit gives life because of righteousness. 
And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of the spirit who lives in you. What a crazy truth. I know this is the second time I read the scripture. I read it at the very top and I kind of glazed over it. But the spirit of him who raised Jesus is in me. What? This is not in my own strength. It is not in my own power that it says in verse 11. We'll give life to your mortal bodies, it says in verse 11. So if that's the case, if that's really the case, Christ in me, what should I do with that? What should I do with that? Continue on in 12 and 13. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we've heard this, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. For if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Last week, Pastor Jason talked about this in chapter seven. Once we receive Christ and the Holy Spirit within us, we are changed within, but our flesh still battles. We are at war, it says in chapter seven. We are at war with each other. How true that is. The beauty is though, when we do set our minds in the things of God and live according to the spirit, it takes up real estate. It takes up real estate in your mind and will slowly put more Jesus in place of that sin. I think the best approach to putting death to sin is to get your mind on what the Holy Spirit desires. I don't know about you, but I think we get caught up in behavior modification a lot of times in church, in Christian circles. We get caught up in like, I got to stop looking at that. I got to stop saying that. I, I should probably do more of that. I need to do less of this. I need to stop thinking like that. And it's just this, that, this, this. But this was a beautiful truth that I feel like God gave me that I've never seen in Romans 8 that I've read many times is, okay, so if I'm living by the Spirit, I should set my mind on the things the Spirit desires. And a couple of verses later, so for obligation... Out of obligation of that, I should be able to kill the sin that's in my life. Okay, so how do I kill the sin that's in my life? I kill it by setting my mind on what the Spirit desires. Pastor Jason actually talked about it in the welcome. He said, when we talk about scripture memorization, it's not that we're fighting sin, it's we're inserting more Jesus. It's a beautiful picture. Do you understand the real state of our mind, real state of our soul? You put more Jesus in the circle, less and less sin is in that. I thought it was incredible just that God showed me that I was like laying in bed with, and I was like, oh my gosh, this is so good. I was so happy with just like, just hearing that because I know we've grasped that, but just those verses, the way they work together, is just beautiful. So the way to do that is by spending time in the word. That's the only way you can set your mind. I want to be very practical when you're what I'm saying. Set your mind on the things of the Spirit. That means being in the Word, spending time with other believers in communion. So let's go back to the Word. Verse 14, Romans 8, verse 14 through 17. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. We just heard this in worship and it was awesome. And by him, we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. So if you've accepted Jesus, like I said before, if you've accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you've received the Holy Spirit, which in turn, has brought you into the family of God. So I can claim 
adoption as a child of God with a life in the Spirit. I can claim adoption as a child of God with a life in the Spirit. He now calls us sons and daughters. We can call God Father. And that was so radical for Jews to hear. What, you're praying to God as your Father? No one doesn't pray like that. It took that relationship from distant creator to personal loving father. And maybe some of you hear father and that brings up some bad memories or pain from your earthly father. And I want you to know that I'm sorry that you have walked through that. But our heavenly father is not like that. He is whole. He is constant. He's caring. Jesus shares a parable in the, in the Gospels, he shares the story that I love. It is one of my favorites. And maybe some many of you have heard it lots of times. Maybe you're getting to hear it for the first time. But there's two sons and a father. And one of the sons says, I want my inheritance now, Dad. Which pretty much means, I wish you were dead. I want to take what's mine and I want to go. So the father gives it to him. And the son leaves his father, leaves the home, and goes and spends the money in parties and debauchery and wild living and spends it all and ends up broken, heartbroken, laying down. He's eating out of a pigsty. He's eating with the pigs. And he said, what have I done? What have I done? And he remembers, even the servants at my father's house have it better than I do. Maybe I'll go back. Maybe, maybe my father will forgive me. If I, if I go back and, and say, I'm sorry for this, and this is ridiculous, I can't believe I did this, please forgive me. So he get, 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 gets his plan, he starts his journey back. And I can just picture the father just standing on the porch, looking on the horizon. Maybe someday I'll see that son again. And the son walks up over the hill. And scripture says that the father runs after him. The father runs after him. Picks him up. The son starts to say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I've done this and I've done that. And the father says, enough. My son that was once dead is now alive. My son that was once lost is now found. He's back and he's mine. And that's just a small glimpse of the father's heart for us. That's good news, right? Amen? The father says, come back to me. We, we try to start up with our, I'm sorry, I'll do better. I'll do this. And he says, you've returned back to me. We get to call God father. He calls us sons and daughters. I'm so thankful that we serve a God where the Holy Spirit has given us the Holy Spirit to guide us even in our weakness even in our weakness. Verse 26, continuing on in Romans 8, verse 26. It says, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, we do know when we do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. See, sometimes when you feel beat down and you're tired and maybe you're going through a season that is just heartbreaking and all you have is tears and you say God I need you and you just have tears and you're just groaning out to God 
He hears you and he intercedes, it says. He prays on your behalf, is what scripture says. Sometimes I feel like, we feel like we have to have the most elegant prayers. We need to have it all put together. But let me tell you, that's not true. It's just a relationship, crying out to God, crying out to him. Because God hears us in our cries and our moans saying, God, we need you. But also he hears us in our audacious, bold prayers. God hears our prayers. And that's the kind of God that we can trust, that he is the best for us, even when we can't see the next step. In verse 28, it says, and we know, this is a very uh, famous scripture here, and we know that in all things, God works for the good for those who love him, for who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Now, verse 28 is not saying all things are good, but God works for the good. Because a life lived in the spirit can really trust that God has the best plans for my life. A life lived in the spirit says, I trust you that God, you have the best plans for my life. In preparation for this sermon this week, I heard a quote from R.A. Torrey. It says, Romans 8.28 is like a soft pillow to lay your tired heart when it doesn't make sense. And you say, I've seen God's faithfulness. I'm gonna believe that he has the best for me, for myself, and for his glory. I believe the longer you walk with the Lord and you see his faithfulness, the easier it is to fully rest in his goodness and take hold of this truth. Because life in the spirit makes you able to understand and endure suffering, right? It makes you able to endure suffering differently than in your own strength. Because when in our suffering is when we're broken. And when we're unbroken, we're the most likely to come to Jesus and be conformed to his likeness. Because the likeness of Jesus is the overall goal. Sometimes we get caught up and say heaven is the goal. Heaven is the reward. The likeness of Jesus is the goal. But that only happens when we're broken. We say, I don't know what's happening, Lord. I don't know what the next step is, but I come to you. I remember when Rolling Hills launched this campus almost almost 10 years ago. And we had no idea that we would be here at this place at this time. But God did. God had a plan. I can remember the two different elementary schools, the big yellow truck that we loaded all our gear in, in and out through the rain, through the snow, through the heat, with those incredible core team volunteers that were there with us. I can remember the different staff people we had, the different methods of church the many times of this is not working, right? Should we, should we stop now? Is this, is this still working? Just those thoughts of like, God, are you still in this? But trusting in those hardships that you have something for us. And now look at us now. Look at where we're at right now. And I'm not talking about the building. I am incredibly grateful for this tool, but I'm talking about you, the church talking about me. I'm talking about us as the church, the growth we've seen, the VBS, the camps, the groups, the worship, the words, student ministry, 
all things that the enemy wanted to take us out and say, stop, it's too hard. This is ridiculous. You should stop everything in your man-made power says you should stop. But thankfully, it's not our man-made power. It's Christ in us saying, trust me, trust me. I have something better for you. I have the next step for you. God has been doing that through generations. He's doing it now and he will continue to do it. That's the God we serve. Verse 31 is so awesome. I love verse 31 because we've got to remember this is a letter. This is a letter Paul is writing. So then he says, what then shall we say in response to these things? So Paul, what have we, what have we heard so far? Let's, let's recap. Even just today, not all of Romans, but just today, what have we heard? We've heard there's no condemnation, no disapproval for those in Jesus, no shame, complete freedom that I'm not bound by the law, that when I set my mind on the things of the spirit, there's peace and life. The one who raised Jesus from the grave lives in me, that we are now called children of God, that we can cry out father to him, that the spirit of God intercedes for us, that God works all things for his glory and our good. When we've heard all that truth, what should we say then? And he continues on with 31. We should say, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? I like how he hits it in verse one. It says, therefore, there's no condemnation. He wants to remind you in verse 34. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died more than that, who was raised to life is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Paul's referencing back to Psalms 44 here, showing God's people have faced persecution for generations. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord, what else can I say? All right, Pastor, get off the stage. That's enough right there. That is drop the mic. That is the truth. Nothing can separate us from God's love. Nothing. Nothing. Maybe you're thinking, you don't know. You don't know the sin that I live with. You don't know. You don't know the shame that I have. Let me help you put that in the place. Maybe it is an addiction. My addiction can't separate us from the love of God. Maybe you've had an affair. My affair can't separate us from the love of God. Maybe you've lied, cheated, cursed, gave up. That can't separate us from the love of God. Maybe you think your mental health or your anxiety or depression can separate us from the love of God, but it cannot. The New Living Translation says, Neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from the love of God. A spirit-led life grasp that truth that nothing's bigger than God's love. A spirit-led life grasp that nothing's bigger 
than God's love. The chapter starts with no condemnation and it ends with no separation. Did you catch that? The chapter starts with no condemnation and it ends with no separation, with becoming more like Jesus in the middle. Nothing is greater than God's love. Don't let sin make you run away from God because God is still pursuing. So how do I live a life in the spirit, right? That's the question. For some of you, that might be saying yes to Jesus. I want to be super clear here that God's love is for the believer but it's also for the unbeliever. God's love covers all. God's love is not salvation. For God so loved the world. Even in Romans 5, 8, like we, one of our memory verses was, for God showed his love that Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. God's love is for all. But there's a, a line in the sand that says, the no condemnation, calling God Father. Salvation is found only in Christ Jesus as our Lord and Savior. It doesn't come from good church attendance. It doesn't come from being around believers. It doesn't come from being good. Salvation is solely only in Christ. Acts 4.12 Salvation is found as no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. So I don't want to get off the stage and not give you that opportunity. Maybe you've never surrendered your life to Jesus. I want today to be the day. For a life in the Spirit starts with saying yes to Jesus. Then after that, it starts with saying yes to Jesus again and saying, Lord, I, I want to grasp the amazing truths that you've given me here in this chapter, that there's no condemnation. You, you call me a son and daughter. So I want to ask if you close your eyes, bow your heads, ask the band to come on out. If you've never given your life to Jesus, you've never said, Lord, I want to confess my sins that I'm not good enough on my own, that I'm not good enough on my own. I want you to raise your hand right now. Raise it high in this place. Thank you. I see those hands. Praise God. Praise God for salvation in this place. Praise God for the gift of Jesus. Praise God. You can put your hands back down. Praise God for the gift of salvation. Thank you, Jesus.
Thank you, Jesus, that your spirit runs after us and says, come to me. Come to me, all who are broken, weary. Come to me. When you raise your hand, you will raise your hand to commit to give your life to Jesus. We're going to walk through the prayer later on at the end of the service. Right now, let me just pray over us. Father God, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for your Holy Spirit. Thank you, God, for us to live a life in the Spirit. We have to first say yes. And thank you, God, for the people that here in this room that have already committed to make that decision take that step but for us as believers even growing in that there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus that we're to set our minds on you and we receive peace and life that when we don't know what to pray you intercede for us that we can call you father and you call us kids of the king and that there is nothing nothing that could ever separate us from the love of God What a beautiful truth. And we thank you for your word this morning. We give you the glory and we give you the honor. Amen. Now, those that raise their hands, I'm not going to ask you to come forward right now, but I want to make it super clear. At the end of the message, I'm going to ask you to do another step of boldness. Myself, Pastor Jason, some other people from our prayer team will be up here. We would love to walk with you through the prayer of salvation. Let's stand and sing in response to the word of God. How great Father's love for us. Thank you for listening to the Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast. Share this episode with friends and family in your life. Make sure you subscribe to be notified so you never miss a sermon. If you are interested in learning more about Rolling Hills, download our Rolling Hills app, follow us on social media, or visit our website at rollinghills.church. The Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast is a part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network, available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Thanks for tuning in.